Parsha Themes is for inspired people like you who are looking for engaging and relevant Parsha and Moedim thoughts. Our weekly discussions focus on uplifting thoughts and actionable ideas that will upgrade your Avodah Hashem and enhance your Shabbos and Yantav table. I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Tropper, and it's an honor to have you with me here today. Hello and welcome to Parsha's Nasso. I'm going to talk about a very fascinating part of Nasso. We have the Birchas Konim and the Torah commands in Perak Vav, Pasach of Zion, the Samu you should put my name on the Jews and I will bless them. And the Grub brings down a Sifri that uh, this is the source for Birchas Kohanim. And then the Gemara says, um, how do I know that you should also do, that's that's Birchas Kohanim in the Mikdash itself. Um, but how do I know that it refers to the Gvul and Minayim, that outside of, of the Mikdash? Because it says, Anywhere that you mention my name, I will bless you. So, the, the Gra explains, um, in Divrei Yamim actually, but on this Pasuk, that the Gemara in Sota, Lama Ches, says that in the Migdash they would say the name of Hashem, the Shem Hashem, as it was written. So that's how they would pronounce it, Yud Kei Vav Kei. And that's why it's always called Vesamu Es Shemi Al That's how we know that it's referring to the Migdash, because my actual name, okay? Um, but in the Gvul and outside of, outside of uh, the Migdash, um, and by the way, Gvulin usually means the the way that it's normally translated is outside of the bounds of the Mikdash itself. So anywhere outside the Mikdash. But I always say that it's allegorical and that the word Gvulin means limits. And so your limitlessness comes in the base of Mikdash itself. Um, but your um, Gvul, the limits all take place when you're outside of the Mikdash. If you're outside of that place of Shaging, then you're automatically limited. So it's a, it's a, it's showing it's aspirational. That you always want to be in the Mikdash and and Shtaging. Anyway, so um, that's how do we know that it's referring to the base of Mikdash? Because with Samuel Shemi, you should put my name there. But outside of the Mikdash, um, it's that that's why the pasuk says, "Bechol Makom Asher Azkir Shemi." You'll mention my name. It doesn't say. Uh, the word v'samu eshimi, that you're saying my actual name itself, but azkir, you're mentioning it, and that azkara is not the same way that it's written, it's it's just the way it's pronounced. So it's written as um, yudke vavke, but it's not pronounced, we don't say that, only in the base of Migdash does a Kohen pronounce it that way. Outside of that, we pronounce it as adnus, aleph dal nunyud, Hashem. That's how we pronounce it, baruch ato, ado, and then Hashem. And then nai. Okay, so the Gra explains that that's a shot in the Pasuk where it says, Zeshemi v'zezichri. There's a difference between shame and zecher. There's a name Bashem, that's one way, that it's said, um, that it's actually pronounced as it's spelled, and then there's zecher, how we actually pronounce it everywhere else. And, the, and that's what the Gra says. So I want to talk about that because the Gra has a couple of places where he talks about this shame and zecher, and it's very fascinating. So let's turn to Mishle, Perak Tess, I'm sorry, Perak Yud, Pasuk Zion. Zecher Tzadik Levracha, Veshem Rishaam Yerkav. So we have this, this dichotomy of Zecher and Shame. So let, let's focus on that. The Tzadik is remembered for blessing, and the name of the evil one should rot, or will rot. So the Zohar says that Zeshemi, if you take the words Zeshemi, this is my name, says Hashem, and you add yud to it for the name of Hashem, you get 365. And this corresponds to the Mitzvah's Losaseh. And if you take the word zez, um, the word zichri, um, my my remembrance, and you add the vav hey to it, um, then you get ramach. You get four, 248, which are the 40, 248 limbs, uh, which correspond to the mitzvah say. So what does that mean? It says the gra, 
when when you complimented Sadik, what are you complimenting? You're complimenting what he did right. So the Zecher, Tzadik Levracha, the Zichri, that's his Ramach Evarav, that he used them for the 248 limbs, 248 mitzvahs. But when you uh, insult the, the Russia, then you say, V'Shem Rishayim, that's Shemi, that's a 365 losa says that he was over on. Okay, so that's a shot. Now, what does that mean? Why does it have to do with Hashem's name? So I believe that the pshat is that when we do the mitzvahs, we are bringing out Hashem's presence. And it's brought down this far in the Marsha, brings us down a few places, that the word mitzvah is, is related to the name of Yudke Bavke. Because Mem and Sadi are the menatzbach, uh, I'm sorry, not menatzbach, Mem and Sadi are the atbash gardak, they are replaced with Yud and He. And so the word mitzvah, Mem Tzadi, Vav He, has the Vav He of Hashem's name, Yud He, Vav He, Mitzvah, Mem Tzadi, Vav He, versus Yud He, Vav He, but it's hidden. The Mem and the Tzadi are really the Yud He, but they're hidden, and the Vav and the He are, 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 are revealed. When we do a mitzvah, we're finding Hashem in that mitzvah. We're bringing out Hashem into this world. And the best way we do that is when we do positive actions, and that's the Shem Hashem when it's pronounced, the Shem um, uh, so that's that's hinting to the idea that we need to stay away from mitzvahs losa, say, to bring out Hashem's presence that way. And the zezichri, the zecher part, is uh, the the proactive part, um, which is the action that we put in to bring out the mitzvahs. Now, it's interesting because mitzvah say shazma grama, the mitzvah say shazma grama, or zecher, that's zichri. So you see that that's, that specifically corresponds to men that are mechiv in that. Of course, all women are mechiv in all mitzvahs losa, say, just like everyone. Um, but the men are mechayev in the mitzvah um, man grama, and so with zichri that corresponds to action. Again, you see, there's more of a male uh, focus on the word zecher. Remember, the word zecher means to remember. Men are, men need memory. Uh, men have a lot of memory issues, and so they need to wear a yarmulke to remind themselves as a rebbeinu shalom. The women don't need that. They already know it without it. They they intrinsically remember. It's the word nekeva means means a whole nekev. So things are a lot more. Um, ingrained in a woman, deep and, and internalized and, and more deeply understood by a woman. The man needs to constantly remind himself there's a rabbanu shalom. That's the purpose of the mitzvah seishas monogramma, to tie him down to time and reality. Otherwise, he would just live his own life and do his own free thing. So these are just some ideas that come from this gra. It obviously needs to develop develop a little bit more, and, it's, and it, it appears in a lot of places, this idea. But we see there's some fascinating ideas behind the zecher and the uh, shame and zecher. Another interesting aura from the Grun, Adaris Elio in Parshas Nasso, he says the following. I'm going to try to explain a little bit of it as much as I get, which is not much. Um, Yivrech HaShem is with Chachma. He should give you wisdom. Um, like it says that HaShem blessed Shlomo with wisdom. And Yishmarecha um, is the Mamon. He should watch over you by giving you money so you could live life. That's wealth. And Yara HaShem Panavelecha is Chaim. He should give you life. So Chachma Osher and Chaim, like it says in Mishlei, but Arpanecha Melachaim. The Yichunecha is he should give you Chain, grace, that's Chain and Kavod. And then it says, Yisa Hashem Panabelecha, he should favor you, that's children. Like it says in Vayikra, in Parshas Bechukosai, Panisi Aleichem, Vifresi Eschem, so I'll give you children. Vyasem Lecha Shalom is the ultimate peace. And again, these are just Ramazim, but the idea is that, um, of course, wealth and Judaism has always had different views on it. It's meant to be used if a person has it, but it's also a big sign, a person that 
uh, like like it says in Mishlei, uh, the the Nisayan of wealth don't give me, and the one of of uh, poorness don't give me either. They're very very tough, but we certainly aspire for the Chachma and the Osher. We look at what is Osher that Sameach Bechelko is a Usher Bechelko, and of course we ask Hashem for life. We ask Hashem for chain and covet that we should find favor in other people's eyes, which of course we have some power over that, but ultimately Rabban Shalom decides. And of course we ask Hashem for children, um, and we ask Hashem to give us shalom, which is something that we work towards as well. We should be zocha to find that and all the blessings. One part of the redemption is recognizing that the Rabban Shalom took us out of Mitzrayim. I need Hashem is one in charge, but another part is to recognize the supremacy of just following Hashem, even though life is hard. Hashem is telling you to jump into this this river, and that's what the Das Torah is guiding you. That's what Hashem wants from you. Do it. What a powerful, powerful lesson regarding Pesach. And I think this Nodi Behuda story brings it out, really, into fruition. Very, very powerful story. And those three Ha'aras about what, what, what would happen even nowadays if, if a Rav would say this. People would say, yeah, he lost touch. The, the amount of Kavadah Torah that the Jews had literally saved, saved them. But more, more than that also, if some Avarian would have went and tried to eat the chametz, he would have died not following Das Torah. And another ha'ara is that no takala came because of the conviction of a Jewish people, because of that. Now, nowadays, the Rabbanim are not mocked on this, the, this idea, for at least for companies, for sure, and maybe even perhaps for individuals. Okay, so that's, that's what the halacha is. But nonetheless, for that conviction, it was not a foolish conviction, it was a halachically sound conviction, uh, Hashem made it that no takala came. I want to say a couple of interesting ha'aras that I saw. Um, there's a sefer put out uh, called Ramosh of Heinemann's uh, Halachas of Pesach, and this story is brought down very, very briefly. And it was put out by uh, Rav Nassim Yosef Miller, who did a great job writing over Ray Heinemann's ha'aras. There's a couple of stories in there I want to share, a couple of ideas. One of them is that um, someone was talking about how delicious the cookies they had at Pesach, and... They asked the Balas Bias, they said, how did you make such great, I've never had such good cook- cookies. They mamish taste like chametz. And that's always something we get nervous about when we taste something that's really good. So she said, look, it's 100% uh, kasher lepesach. I walked into a uh, kasher lepesach bakery and I asked them for the flour. They're, the, the flour they were going to use for matzah. And I made these cookies out of that flour. So pause for a minute and just think about what, what, what is being said. Because there's no difference between chametz and matzah flour. There's no kosher lepesach flour. Kosher lepesach flour just means that the chametz was that that the that the um, matzahs were made within 18 minutes because if you make them within anything more than that it becomes chametz. So if she made cookies out of the out of the um, flour that she bought from the pesach bakery, it is that that's not what makes them kosher lepesach. What makes them kosher lepesach is uh, that she shouldn't be baking with with flour because we're knowing not to. But more than that, uh, she literally made chametz. So you see the importance of making sure that everybody knows what they're doing. And um, sometimes, if we're not thinking straight, we just think, well, if I bought it from the matzah bakery, then it's kosher lepesach. That's true. The, the flour is kosher lepesach, but not when you add water to it and let it sit for more than 18 minutes. So that's why we don't fool around with, with uh, flour. Um, Ray Heinemann shares a very interesting art and a very interesting story about his desire not to teach his children uh, brachos and how he failed. Now, Remember, uh, it, it's tongue-in-cheek because here it is a rabbi not trying to teach his kid brachos, but listen, listen to the story. So the question that he's trying to address are, are children chayav and dalav kosos? And um, the short answer is that if they don't understand the mitzvah, they're not responsible for it. Now, and his proof is that the Gemara says that when is a kid chayav in, in um, 
in lulav when he knows how to shake it properly. So you could ask, well, what do you mean? If he just picks it up and holds it, but the Eved, he's Yotze, the Mitzvah Um So why don't you just have him do that? The answer is that the Chiv and Mitzvahs is to teach people how to do them properly. So Heinemann says that when he was raising his children in Yeshiva Lane, he wanted to come up with a way that children would learn how to make brachas and not just do it without thinking. Because since we learn brachas when we're so little, we're, we, we do it without thinking because that's how we learn it. And so we just continue our whole lifetime. So he he was intent, he made a, a calculation in his mind that until about age six, a kid would not understand what they're doing. That's That was his calculation based on other gemaras and sources. And therefore, he was intent not to teach his children brachas until about age six. They would see it, they would hear it. But he would teach them at age six, and he felt that would help them learn how to make brachas with kavana. But he says, growing up in Yeshiva Lane, the kids were exposed to other families and other B'nai Torah who did teach their children right away because they felt it was important. And so he failed in that chinuch, and his children ended up learning uh, brachas right away. And he doesn't say whether they make it with kavana or not, but of course it's, it's an interesting story for all of us. If we think about the way we originally learned brachas might have been a little bit brainless. And so if we think about putting in doing the mitzvahs properly, like the mitzvah of Dalad Kosas, teaching that properly, and the mitzvahs of Lulav, and the mitzvahs of Brachas, we could put some thought into the Brachas that we make. In this book, he brings down a story, which I've actually heard with a Telzer Rosh Shiva, but, but he says that he heard it himself from his own word. So basically he writes that, um, that Rav Ruderman, his Rosh Shiva, told him that in the 1930s, he went into a Svarim store on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, where everybody was, and he asked for Ketzosa Choshen. And the owner, Ramosha Chaim Pollock, asked Rav Ruderman, what are you... Why are you looking for a ketos? So the so Ruderman told him, I, I want to buy a ketos. I need a ketos. So where Moshe Chaim Pollock was the owner of a store, he said, this is the last ketos you'll ever find in America. If you want it, you better take it now. It'll never be printed, reprinted again. You have to understand that the Torah Yiddishkeit was dying out and people weren't following it. He said, it's, I got it from Europe and that's it. There's no, there, you, you weren't able to buy Svarim in America until the 1950s because there were no, no B'nai Torah that were demanding it. And... Um, so Ray Heinemann said that Rav Ruderman himself told him this story, and he laughed, and he said, look, Baruch Hashem, we've survived and we've thrived. And that, that was his version of the story. But Ray Heinemann said that he actually heard the story from Rav uh, Moshe Chaim Pollock as well. Why? Because um, Ray Heinemann said that his granddaughter married the great-grandson of Rav Moshe Chaim Pollock. And Rav Moshe Chaim Pollock's great-grandson told him that, hey, my grandfather told me the story. He said one time a, a bucher came into my store trying to buy the ketos, and I told him it was going to be the last one. And he, and he said he thought it was such an anomaly that a bucher was looking to buy a ketos in the 30s because there was no such thing that he had told over the story. He didn't know that it was Ravruderman. So, so Heinemann pieced together his two stories, which is just phenomenal. Look at what we have in America. So much Torah. And the last R I wanted to share from Heinemann, which is very fascinating, is in, in halachas of selling the chametz. So let's say... Um, so one thing he recommends is that wherever your chametz is located, that's where you should have it sold, preferably, because there's two reasons. One of them is because there's time zone issues, even though I'll, I'll address that in a minute, which is very fascinating, how, of course, every rub that sells chametz writes that it's according to the time zone of wherever you are on Pesach. So let's say you sell your chametz. Let's say you live in Eretz Yisrael, and you're in America for Pesach. So he said um, it'll be sold in a way that you don't own it in either place um, over Pesach. But it's better to sell it in the place that you live just because of the practical reason that the guy should be able to access your chametz. And he's not going to hop on a plane to go to your country to go get your chametz there because that's going to cost him you know, thousands thousands of dollars. 
Therefore, it's more practical to sell it where you actually um, have it located. But another thing that he says is that um, when they sell it for time zones, um, what they when they or he says that Rav Kalevsky taught him that on Matzei Pesach, and again he has a whole uh, thing about making sure that the guy is reliable because one one guy uh, bought bought liquor and actually got drunk and ended up not showing up when they wanted to try to buy it back and no one was able to eat it. So on Matzei Pesach, um, what you do is you call the guy, and, and remember this is when you have people who um, have chametz in, in an outside time zone that is going to impact. Um, right now it might not be Pesach in America, but it might be Pesach somewhere else. So uh, Matzei Pesach, he, call, he calls the non-Jew and he says to him, I want to buy back the chametz. And he says, fine, yeah, I, I agree, I'll sell it back to you. So you tell him, I'm going to buy it back officially tomorrow, but do you mind if we start using it now? And the guy says, yeah, that's fine. So now I don't own it till tomorrow, so anyone that needs me to still own, own have the guy own it, it's not ours yet until after Pesach. But anyone that starts eating it now, it's also fine. And that's generally one version of what of what the guy is told. Bottom line is that Pesach is a beautiful time for inspiration, and we should use these lessons to be able to enhance our, uh, our Seder and our meals and have a good discussion about what Pesach is all about and learn all the lessons of Hashem. Took us out of Mitzrayim, created us, uh, established us as a nation, and watches over us and gives us great Gedoli Yisrael to guide us in life so we can follow Das Torah and learn how to follow Ratzon Hashem and be saved from all types of calamities, but more importantly, be able to live a happy and healthy life every single day. Thanks for joining us. For more Torah content and to make sure you never miss an episode, don't forget to subscribe and visit us at ParshaThemes.com.